Hey, thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Verbal Echo Podcast. We get to listen to real people's stories of insight, grit, endurance, and maybe a little bit of I can't believe that really happened to you. I'm your host, Monica Martin. Let's get to it. My guest today is Jackie Coben from Table for Nine Coaching. She's an Enneagram and personality expert. She's here to share with us how you can use this tool to dig into your personality and use it to explore a sense of purpose for your life. So welcome, Jackie. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Monica. It's been it's been exciting chatting with you already, so I'm really excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Jackie has um, a, a coaching practice, Table for Nine Coaching, and her other um, kind of tag is Know Your Damn Self, and I'm really excited to hear about that. Um, but she is specifically a, a Neogram uh, she works with a neogram, uh, like it's like a personality typing. So I want to really hear about this. And so take it away, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks so much. So, uh, the Enneagram is, I, to, to start, it's one of those tools that it wasn't, it didn't register for me the way that uh, you know, you take like a quiz online and it's like BuzzFeed's like, what pasta are you? And you're like, I'm Rotini. And you're like, this is the best. It, it's not, it wasn't one of those things. It was one of those things where when I first read it, I was like, ah, I feel like I could fit into like five or six of these. And there's only nine personality types. When I read mine, I put the whole study down for six months because I, I couldn't handle what it was telling me about me. Because I, I remember thinking to myself, I was hiding this from me. How'd you know? Like that was, it was embarrassing, right? And I was like, man, this is, this is tough. This is crazy. The reason it does that is because a lot of personality things can measure you from the outside, right? And so I, for example, I have it on good authority that if you and I walked into a room right now, we'd both be able to like say hi to somebody, make a friend, introduce ourselves, talk about what we do and be happy about it. Um, but we have very different reasons for doing that, very different motives, very different whys. And so like we can't really be measured from the outside. We can be measured by um, measured, quote unquote, uh, by why we do what we do. And when that was kind of brought to me through the Enneagram, I was like, oh, if I if I don't have this language to describe myself, I am in deep yogurt as a person, as a person who wants to have a business, as a person who wants to have a successful relationship. And when I started studying it for myself, I realized I think people need this. And so I use it as the basis of life coaching because I think I want to know who the people are that I'm working with and I want them to know who they are so we know that our goals actually align with who we're supposed to be, not just with where we are right now. Yeah, uh, that's really fascinating. You know, I've seen it. I think I have taken an, uh, one of those tests uh, when I was in coaching school, but of course I don't remember what it was. <laughs> so I, okay. so I didn't, um, I didn't do one of those deep dives into, Oh, okay. What does this mean for me? Mm -hmm. It would have been really cool to have yeah. someone on my side that was like, okay, so you're this type. So I think that, I think I got like one of those, it, it was definitely like a free test that one of our instructors gave us. And then we took it mm -hmm. and then, you know, it gave you like the short little printout, you could sign up for it, but it wasn't yeah. like a really a meaningful impact enough so that I could be like, Oh, wow, you know, this is really cool. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of sources yeah. do you use for uh, typing people, I guess, because you said there's nine type people. there's like nine, how many, how many nine types? Yeah, there are nine uh, personality types. And those are just starting points, right? Because humans are complicated and humans are crazy. Oh, yeah. So those are just the starting points. But I I type people. Um, I don't trust the online tests. They've gotten great, which is awesome. But they still can only really measure you based on your level of self-awareness. They can only measure you based on the like the answers they're willing to provide and things like that. Like there's such a... it's only the best and even paid tests are like 80% accurate. So when I type people, the first thing that I do is I, um, with the nine types, there are three groups of three. There's the head types, there's the heart types, and then there's like the instinct types. And that's the first thing that I do when I, when I talk to people in, in a typing session, because we do go through the A to Z and then the AA, AB of everything. But uh, 
I try to figure out their center of intelligence. Like, what's your operating center? Where do you hear and receive information? How do you tell and receive stories? Like, where where do you operate out of? What's, you know, if your brain is your brain, which one's your mind, right? Is it your head, your heart, or your gut? And once we do that, it's a little bit easier. But the, uh, to, the trick to figuring out somebody's type is to keep asking the question, why? Because... D- are you naturally optimistic or pessimistic? And someone might go, yeah, I guess because I'm realistic, I'll say pessimistic. That's not the right, that's not the right answer. That's not, that's not the answer. Right? So when you do these multiple choice tests, it can get really difficult because you're like, I'm kind of sandwiched in the middle here. It's neither one of these. And a practitioner on the other end of that goes, tell me about that. Tell me why it's in the middle and not either one of these two, because we know what to look for, what to hear for. Um, so I love to type people based on their center of intelligence. And then based on their core motivation instead of just their behaviors. Okay, yeah. So how is it different than, say, other personality tests? Like, like, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about like the Myers-Briggs test. And so how is it different than that sort of thing? I think so. I'll I'll start by saying because people like to compare them and go, I like this one. I like that one. I think they both do different things. I think tuna and chicken do different things, right? Like I think they do different things for us and we like them or we don't. And so I like Myers-Briggs. I'm an ENFJ, if anyone was wondering, but uh, I, I like Myers-Briggs because it it gives it gave me this uh, ability to say, hey, I can say this to a person and they'll know what to expect from me, though they won't be like kind of caught off guard. And I'll know how to like maybe describe myself. Oh, I'm a little bit more extrovert and I'm I'm uh, judging whatever the case might be. So I like that. The Enneagram is for you. So while Myers-Briggs, I feel, is for the group collective, right? The Enneagram is for the group collective just as much as it is uh, for you. And I say that to say like, the farthest you take it within yourself is the farthest it uh, affects the collective. Myers, uh, Myers-Briggs, you can say, I'm an ENFJ, and it can stop and end right there. And that person knows what they're going to get out of you. With the Enneagram, it's an examining of your motives on the inside and why you do what you do on the outside. Um, there's also this like belief, I think, with Myers-Briggs, and I think people are on the fence about this, but um, there's a belief that like the perspectives and the preferences with Myers-Briggs can change over time. And so like, I am an extrovert. I'm an extrovert by nature. As I've gotten older and I'm approaching my 30s, um, I'm kind of like, I want to be alone and that's what I want. But I definitely still get my energy from being around people. And so it's like, okay, I haven't changed, but my preferences have changed. With the Enneagram, your type doesn't change. The way you manage or mismanage your core motivations shows out in your behavior. And so your behavior can end up being like, these rumble strips where you're like, ah, I did not realize I was veering, but I'm veering. Um, and so that's that's kind of where they're different. I feel like one is for like self-examination and one is for kind of group work. While both can be used for self-examination and both can be used for group work, I think they just do two different things. And I'll end that uh, tirade by saying, uh, I think the Enneagram is only for you. Uh, and I say that to say, I meet with a lot of people who are like, you know, after I'm on a podcast, they'll want to do a free consultation because they want me to work with their husband. I'm like, no, babe, it's for you. Uh, It's for you and it's for your husband separately and then maybe together in the future, but it's for you. And so I I said that to say like, my fiance doesn't even know his Enneagram type and has recently come to me in his own timing and said like, I'm ready to do it. But I didn't need to know that to be a healthy version of myself, to master my own motivations and to love him for who he was. And so for who he is, excuse me. And so, um, I think there are a lot of differences. I also think there are a lot of similarities. And I think like if a shoe fits you and you like the way it looks and you like the way it feels, wear the shoe. Yeah, that's true. That's, you know, um, I think I could be totally wrong in my remembering of this uh, probably from like a psychology class that I took. But I think that Carl Jung was one of the, uh, I guess, motivations for when... I can't remember their name. Yeah, I think so. It's based on archetypes, and I, I'm sure I'm, I might be totally wrong, but in my memory, that was a few years ago. <laughs> but, um, it, but I think you know because there's 16 types, and so, and they're based on archetypes, mm-hmm. and I, I, I think that that's a good analysis the way you put it, where it's, it's definitely because I know that a, like a lot of workplaces use the Myers Briggs, um, and yeah. they'll 
make you take that test before you go in and how intimidating that might be. But how many people are using, like how many workplaces are using like the Enneagram? Have you seen that at all? Like work, like HR departments saying, hey, this is a real, or like maybe like a small breakout group in a team Mm -hmm. at, in a work environment is, do you see that being used at all? Like in work? I do. I do. Yeah. So Myers-Briggs is definitely more streamlined and has been used historically, especially in corporate settings. And so that tends to stick and be tradition because it's like, oh, well, why would we reinvent the wheel? What I find with a lot of startups, tech startups, nonprofits, um, I want to say newer gen thinking like minded workplaces that are not just nine to five corporate, then you die. Um, those places tend to go towards either both or all or the Enneagram also. So um, it's very, very interesting. What I find, like, I don't, I don't like to do a group training unless people know it's going to be very condensed because to go through nine, t- I mean, that's like 90 minutes each personality type, to be honest. Right. So I, I can, you know, but I love one of the things that I love to do is I love to meet with leaders of teams and like it's almost like handing them like here it is like handing them like a stack of information that's like you can do this and you can do this by knowing yourself like you can do this. Um, So like I I like to work with like a lot of high level people because the trickle is something the trickle is really something with the Enneagram and I think the reason is because Myers-Briggs is I'll speak for myself Myers-Briggs felt like an explanation of me right? But the Enneagram felt like I was understood for the first time in my entire life. And when I read those things and I learned, quote unquote, those things about myself that I had known forever, but never really had the semantics for, I couldn't unlearn them. Like it, I've, I heard this quote years ago and it resonated with me so much. And it's like, you, uh, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you didn't know. And when I came into the Enneagram and I you know, thought about that quote, I was like, okay, it, it, there's a there's an emotional call to action that comes with the Enneagram that's different. Um, so I think a lot of companies should be using it. And personally, when I work with clients, they come in with a certain set of goals. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about your personality type. And we go through it A to Z. And nine times out of 10, Monica, those um, those goals change. Mm-hmm. Those goals they're like, oh, so uh, I'll give you an example. My first client ever, she came in and was like, I, I need to make friends. I don't know how to make friends. And I said, okay, let's go through your personality type. And she typed as um, uh, Enneagram type six, which is the loyalist or the guardian. And that's the most skeptical type of all of the nine Enneagram types. And so I was like, I think it's worth it to do a deep dive on the relationship between skepticism and friendship or skepticism and community. And so it's like, once we had that conversation, I'm like, well, what really are your goals? And she was like, there are so many goals before making friends. And I was like, got it. So it, it's it's like a flashlight. And uh, yeah, anyway, so I, I think workplaces can use it. I think when, when a client comes to me, this is what I was saying before, and I got lost in my train of thought. But when a client comes to me, there's not an area of their life we don't end up touching. We will touch how they deal with food. We will touch how they deal with money. We will touch, we will touch how they deal in their workplaces because – it's not the 1950s anymore. And who you are is who you are. You're at the grocery store. You're at work. People know who you are. You know who you are. Like you are who you are. You're not changing based on your environment. And if you think you are, you may not be doing a great job at it. So we need to know ourselves and we need to embrace ourselves so we can know exactly who we are, no matter what environment we step into. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I, and I like how you touched on know yourself first. Um, and then that can t- kind of trickle down in or maybe trickle across into all these other aspects of your life. And I think that's a really good point that we can't change. Like you are like, let's say you're this person at home or whatever. I think our world is so integrated now with uh, social media and like how connected we are with other people. You can't just go out, close the door and become this other person. We, our lives are so transparent now. So, you know, everyone knows, Mm -hmm. you know, everything about you and yeah, you can be that person that, you know, doesn't have any social media. Um, but it's also kind of isolating. Like, I I don't know. I think there's this thing that kind of was circulating around like during the pandemic, like, Oh, I feel so isolated. Uh, you know, all I do is do this online stuff. Um, but that's just the way the world is now. 
And yeah, it's great yeah. to, we, I mean, I think we really have to reach out for connection with other people and, and make those connections, oh, yeah. but knowing yourself and knowing who you are at a core helps bridge the gap between mm. um, all these other aspects of your life so that you are not um, trying to be someone that you're not. And so I, I really yeah. like that you touched on that and that that's like a, a core for what you're doing is, like you said, know your damn self. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I have another question. So let's say you go through this and then um, you're one type. Can you be more than one type? Can you be like no. this? No. So there's a lot of nuances to it, but you don't change your type. And uh, like, I'll give you the, the briefest example is when you decide to, when anybody listening to this decides to embark on a journey of like being healthier, being growing, healing past something, their objective is to level up, but it's never like, I'm going to be my mom. Uh, I'm going to be the mailman. He seems really healthy. Like the goal is to be you, but a different elevated form. And so you don't really change your type because your motivations don't change. They just either get managed or mismanaged. And I'll like the smallest example I could say is like people, like we all know people who've grown throughout their life, but they are exactly who they are. They've always been who they've been. And so like I, I'm a, a type, personality type two, which is nicknamed the giver or the helper. And the underlying reason that this type gives or helps is, uh, they feel like they need to be needed and they're afraid that they're just tolerated and not loved. That's a, that's a scar for me. That's a hard thing for me. I move past it. That's something that I'm going to have to manage for the rest of my life. I might wake up at 47 and realize I'm frustrated with my husband because I'm feeling unneeded by him and being like, I thought that I dealt with this at 20, like honestly. So that's, that's going to be happening for the rest of my life because I'm, I'm who I am and I'm not going to change, but I can choose to be healthy in these different areas. I can choose to manage my motivations. And so if I level up and become healthy, um, I'll give another example, like that personality type six, the skeptic, right? Um, if I become that person overnight, just because I became healthy, that number one alludes to the fact that certain types are healthier than others, which is not true. Um, and then number two, that type's got the, got its own set of problems. Suddenly, not only am I the person with the underlying fear of not being loved, now I'm the person with the underlying fear of like, I can't trust everybody. So the truth is, is just we learn to either manage or mismanage our core, core motivations throughout our lives. So it doesn't really change, but we do take um, inspiration because humans are not one dimensional. Um, and so we do take inspiration from other types. There's this thing called wings, which is the number, the Enneagram is kind of like a clock with nine at the top. So the numbers on each side of me, for example, are one and three because I'm a type two. So I might borrow inspiration from a one. I might borrow inspiration from a three. And that means I'm always going to be the helper. I'm always going to be the giver. But I might borrow from the one, which is the perfectionist and be a little anal sometimes. And then I might borrow from the three, which is the achiever and try to outdo everybody around me. But my motivation is that I want to be loved. I want to be needed. So that's never going to change for me, unfortunately, but I can manage it, you know? So that's, that's the, the long answer to your question. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, Thank you. What, uh, what's kind of the history of mm. how this was created? Were there people who designed it or did it come from another sort of realm? Uh, I mean, what, what's the history of this? Yeah, so the the history it's so muddy until it gets to the person who made it really what it is today, quote unquote. But essentially it's it's an old centuries old tradition. Like you brought up Carl Jung before. It predates Carl Jung by two, three thousand years, something like that. Um, this is an oral tradition from the Middle East. Um, from Bedouins, from these my my family is of Middle Eastern descent. My family is Assyrian. And so, like, you know, being in that Mesopotamian region, like this is something that just fit in my soul. Um, it's, you know, an old oral tradition. And it moved um as most things do to South America somehow, because the Middle East always ends up in South America somehow, and uh then moved up to, you know, kind of like the the Americas and things like that. But essentially, it's just oral stories, oral tradition of different personality types based on their quote unquote essence. 
So there's always, for thousands and thousands of years, been this idea that who you show up as and who you're supposed to be are two different things. Like your person, I use personality because it's the blanket statement that everybody understands. But if I could speak so boldly, I'd say, I want you to unlearn your personality so you can learn your essence. Like I want you to unlearn what you do out loud so that you understand who you are as a person and you start doing those things out loud. Um, and that's really the the root of the tradition. How it moved, I mean, is a mystery beyond me, but that's how oral traditions move. But uh, but it's very, very, very old. And like some even some of the newer study that's done on it is rooted in the older scripts and things like that. So I think it's a really beautiful tradition. Um, I do think a lot of people have kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, like Americanized it and, and all that stuff. One of the things that I that I do is I like to take psychology terms and different parts of research and put it behind the Enneagram and give actual semantics and language for people to take it and make it their own. Um, I say that to say like some people use it in spiritual or religious movements. I don't. I like a human-based, neutral, psychological approach. And people can take it and make it their own in whatever way that they want. They can make it spiritual. They can make it religious. They can make it none of those things. They can make it just for them, um, whatever. So starting with a neutral space, but essentially, it's mostly just oral tradition. And that's why I like to type people out loud because I like to keep that oral tradition going because I think it's special. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I like that word that you use, essence. That, yeah, that to me, when you special. say that, it, it kind of reminds me of your soul or your spirit. Mm. Um, you know, that part. There's a deep longing in all of us to like be who we are, though we don't like, though we spend most of our time and most of our lives hiding that from even ourselves. And uh, I think no human is good at being vulnerable right off the bat. We're all really, some of us are really predisposed to being incredibly transparent, but being vulnerable means that we also have to see ourselves and we're less willing to do that. And so like, it's, it's, it's really hard to hear about my essence, to hear about this person who was made to like be able to give of themselves, but also had to learn how to balance taking care of themselves. I was like, ew, I don't want to take care of myself. That sounds gross. I don't want to have. My, I don't want to have needs. That sounds gross. That but that's for my my personality type. But like to, to not sound so crazy out there. Like I felt like my essence was calling to me. I felt like there was something calling to me and going. You know that question you've been asking. Is there more? The answer is yes. Get off your ass. Like I was like, oh, okay. So I mean, I think the essence really calls and speaks to who we are, and it can get drowned out in our quote unquote personality. You know, right? Yeah. Um, I like that. <laughs> I also like, I, I love hearing about the history of this, of these kind of things. Um, because I think when you look back at, especially this one, since it has such a rich and really long history of oral tradition, um, I think that's really fascinating how that has been shaped into something that's current. You know, mm. and I'm wondering if you've run across any other things like that in your studies or in your learning that are similar, you know, like where mm. you draw upon like, like, for example, Ayurveda, you know, like, um, mm. and, you know, it just goes back. It's got such a long, long history and it's so proven and it's just kind of an accepted uh, system, you know. And yeah, right. Yeah, just I don't know. Have you run across anything that's as effective as the Enneagram or, or similar? Um, mm. I want to, uh, you know, I think I'm biased if I say no right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if I'm being honest, that's my answer. Like, I'm not saying that the Enneagram's the best thing out there because I don't know everything and I'd be a complete narcissist if I said, yep, it's the best thing out there. Um, but I will say, as far as the things that I've run into, I've read a lot of books and read a lot of material, done a lot of study, that the Enneagram, what it did for me that made me feel like this could be the base of life coaching for me and really help people sustainably grow um, was the fact that it spoke my language. It was digestible, but it was also really, really specific. And you cannot help but do something after. Like you can't, you cannot look the other way when you hear this stuff about yourself. 
Uh, it makes you think, it makes you ponder, and it answers the questions that we've been asking deep inside. Like all of us have been asking, why am I like that? Why did I do that? Why do I keep finding the same people? Why do I keep reacting like that? I don't know why I'm like this. I, I, I don't know. Do I belong? Is there more? We all, at some way or another, ask these type of questions. The Enneagram is the first thing I found that actually started answering those. Um, and I think that's why maybe it was my beckoning that got answered, right? And so maybe it doesn't work that way for everybody. But I, I will say this. Um, and there are a lot of modalities that work, like a lot. So I'm I'm a eat the fish and spit out the bones kind of gal. Take what t- take what works, spit out the rest. But uh, every single person I've I've typed, I just like you. There's this look on their face, like how do you know that? And it's like I don't know that. I don't know. And even even though I know your enneagram type, I don't know anything about you. I just know why. Right. And that's the beautiful place that people start at. Like I don't know anything about you. I just know why. You get to do the fun rest and figure out how does your essence, like when you understand the Enneagram and you understand how you've been acting, it's so much more clear who you're supposed to be. And it's a little bit less complicated how to get there. It's hard work, but it's a little less like convoluted. You know what I mean? But the work is part of it. I mean, when you're doing the work, that's when you get to transform and you get to understand the system Mm -hmm. and you get to... Uh, maybe peel back some of those layers that are confusing before. So yeah, yeah I like that. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of acceptance in this um, as a, you know, when you're figuring out your essence and your type and all this, it seems like you have to maybe find some gratitude and also find some acceptance in the who you are. And maybe that's hard for some people, um, I, th- I think we all kind of struggle with that on different levels um, of accepting. Like once once you do start to understand yourself, you have to accept it before you can yeah. move forward. Mm-hmm. And plenty of people don't. Plenty of people don't. I mean, they go, "Oh, I'm a I'm a Type Eight. I'm the Challenger, and uh, I have a big personality." And they call it a day. Some people like. But then there are t- like the type four, the individualist might be like, I have been waiting my whole life to be understood. This is it. This is my moment. And it, it hits people differently, not even different personality types differently, just different people. Um, and that just kind of speaks a language that no matter what personality type or what your essence or anything, part of the human condition is that we hide ourselves from ourselves when it seems like it's too much or too scary or can't be understood. You know, and so like some people take the information and they go, I can't, I can't unsee this. And I can't do or live anything different, but some people will. Some people will. They'll take the information and they'll go, huh. But I've never met anybody who didn't come back for it so far. Um, who didn't go, I haven't stopped thinking about what you said about, uh, I'll give you one example. Someone said this to me recently. I have not stopped thinking about what you said. And I said, what did I say? And they said, uh, you, you said something to me about th- not that I retaliate, but the reason I retaliate. And I said, oh yeah, I remember that. And they were like, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I think you should think about it some more. So it's just one of those things where it's like people can take, choose to take, but you're right. Like doing the work and the ugly and the fugly is part of the journey. Like looking in the mirror is not supposed to be easy every time, but I, maybe I'm silly for saying this so, so young and so happily, but I'm very happy and I love my life. And that doesn't mean I don't have struggles, but that means that uh, it's a joke when somebody tries to tell me about me. And I never lived my life like that before this, you know? So, yeah, I think that's really authentic. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm curious about how you came to this. Uh, did you have someone who was kind of your mentor? Did you do a specific training? How did you? get uh, uh, start putting this into your practice. Yeah, so it's actually really funny. I was working at a nonprofit right out of college. I was actually I was working with survivors of trafficking outside of college because that was what I really wanted to do. Uh, I was working in a home with uh, female survivors, in- incredible women. And I was headhunted for another nonprofit. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so going to fit there because I get along with everybody there. And I, as nonprofits work, I did like six roles for the price of one and burnt out and nobody's fault, not mine, not theirs, but just factually, 
I didn't have the language to speak up about myself. I didn't have the language to say anything. I didn't quite know how to deal. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why am I so stuck? Like, I am, I'm like, I'll show teeth for anybody. Like, I'm protective of everything. Like, why can't I do this for me? And I'm like, because I know people and I know how to stand up for them. And I have no idea how to speak for myself or stand up for myself. And that started answering, or excuse me, asking a bigger question and just kept echoing in me. And I was posting something about it on my Instagram story to my close friends. Um, And one of my friends just said, hey, have you ever heard this thing called the Enneagram? Like, maybe just like look into it or take the quiz. I took the quiz online. I typed as one type. I said, ah, that doesn't really sound like me. Type took it again, typed as a different type. I was like, that doesn't really sound like me either. I read a book and uh, I think it was uh, like a preliminary book, like uh, The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And uh, when I read about the type two, I threw the book across the room and I did not open it for six months, like I had said. Um, Then eventually I did and went on the journey, but I became certified in uh, Enneagram coaching just to have the certification. I honestly picked the... um, I picked the fastest route to certification. Um, I did get 100 on the test, though, just in case anyone's wondering. But uh, <laughs> but I picked the fastest route to certification because I wanted to have the integrity. But um, but the truth is, I've been studying it for about a decade through different um, through different teachers, through different speakers, through different modalities, through different readings, writings, podcasts, through different like um, ancient scripts and quotes and things like that, um, and taking it and really putting the human-based, psychology-based thing around uh, behind it, right? I think when I speak with other Enneagram coaches, the one thing that they seem to struggle doing, uh, and they've talked to me about this, is like, I can't really take the person out of their type. And I'm like, well, that's the, that's the first problem. Like, y- you're trying to make the person fit into the type when really talk to the person and see what about the type fits them. That's going to point to, you know, where this person is struggling, where they need healing, where they need growth. Um, All that to say, I basically started because I burnt out at my job and I was like, screw all y'all. I don't know me and you don't know me. So I got to figure this one out. And that's what I did. I like that, that you started with one thing and then you found the resources to dive deeper. Is there a book out there that you could recommend if someone's interested? Like you already mentioned like <clears throat> Excuse me. You already mentioned that some of the online quizzes are not accurate and clearly because you took yeah. them and you showed up as a couple of different types. That doesn't yeah. lend a lot of validity. So is but then you found a book. Yeah. And the book really spoke yep. to you. The Wisdom of the Enneagram. Wisdom yeah. of the Enneagram and uh do you remember yeah. the author? Uh oh, I'll google it right now. Wisdom <laughs> of the Enneagram. Oh, uh, Don Richard Riso. Uh, Don Riso. Riso. I, I had, R- how do you spell? Yeah. He's, he's actually very known in that. R-I-S-O. Okay. Awesome. If anyone's interested out there. Um, did you run across any other sources of information, like maybe blogs or other websites? Um, yeah. It's, so there are tons of books on the Enneagram, um, especially if you're like an audiobook person, tons of podcasts. But I would say there's a podcast from a woman named uh, Suzanne Stabile. She is an incredible Enneagram teacher. I trust her. Like the, you can't really trust everyone. Like I, did, I listened to an Enneagram podcast yesterday and I was like, oh, like this is awesome. But it's just a bunch of, of ladies chit-chatting about their personality types, right? Which is totally fine but i don't want people to feel like i'm gonna learn about me because of because i can relate to Susie, right so uh, different podcasts and things like that but uh mostly books i would say honestly go for the older books uh the wisdom of the enneagram is a great one um the complete enneagram is a great one uh if you want to learn about like instincts like uh human instincts and variants like that um but yeah those are the those are the, the big two that i that i trust the most um and then there are other like online coaches and resources and things like that that you can definitely look right, into. Right, yeah. And you have a lot of resources resources on your website. Uh, I was wondering if you could touch on a couple of those. Her, you guys have to check out her website. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, wow, there's, she's just got a lot of content on there. So maybe touch on that. Yeah, so uh, I have some free downloads on my website. Nothing crazy, but uh, I do occasionally have a masterclass uh, and the topic changes. And so I have a sign up form on uh, my page for, you know, boundaries masterclass, uh, which is 
probably one of the most powerful things that we can do because even the most boundaried people, quote unquote, boundary people in this world, uh, it's just walls and not boundaries. We don't know how to do boundaries properly. And so they get crossed or we get crossed. Um, and so boundaries masterclass comes up. Occasionally, I'll do a masterclass, like a deep dive on each of the Enneagram types. And uh, yeah, so if you want to keep an eye out for those, that those are always... Um, a, a great deal just because they don't cost the same financially as doing like a one-on-one typing session for 90 minutes. So those are always great. You can always do them with people. Um, I don't get mad <laughs> if, if one person signs up and then another person just joins in next to them. I don't really care. Um, but yeah, I've got tons of, and tons of ways to, um, to work together. But also I will say this, like I love DMs. I love answering questions. It may take me a, a little bit to get back to you, but um, I love DMs. So if you're like, I just have a quick question. I'm an Enneagram six and da da da. Uh, like, I'm happy to speak into it very, very quick, quickly. You know, like I, I'm happy to answer questions and things like that. Like I just love to connect with people. So do you have uh, like an Instagram or Facebook page where people can follow your group or, or for, for content and information? Yeah. So I'm at table for nine coaching on Instagram. It's F O R and the digit nine. Uh, and then same thing on uh, Facebook, it's slash table for nine coaching. And uh, my website is knowyourdamnself.com. Awesome. So we'll put all those links down in the show notes. If anyone is interested in um, following her and getting some more information uh, about that. Um, and then you, so you mentioned you have a masterclass coming up. So what is that about? The upcoming masterclass, the one that's going to be mid September is going to be on boundaries. Nice. So it'll be just a quick, it'll be a quick hour. It's going to be on boundaries. We're going to go through like consider it boundaries one one Nice. So if anyone wants to sign up for the masterclass that, that they can do that on my website. Oh, great. And so she also does individual typing. And if someone was interested in that, how, what, so like, what's the process of going through that? And it's one-on-one, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's one-on-one. It's 90 minutes. Uh, we usually go over, but that's just if you have the time. Um, but essentially what I'll do is I'll start by getting some background information. We're just going to chat for a minute. Um, if you want to go right into it, we can do that. I'll type people based on first their center of intelligence. We'll talk through the center of intelligence and what that means. And do we feel comfortable there? Yes, we do. Okay, great. We'll move on to uh, typing and then we'll go through it A to Z. And then once we're there, we'll have the conversation. We'll say like, why are we doing this? What's happening? Like, And that will lead me into what to talk about next because I could talk about the topics like wings. Like I had talked about... Um, where you borrow inspiration from. I could talk about instinctual variants. Like, okay, is this person, which this makes the type vary, is this person a social person, a sexual one-to-one person, or a self-preservation person, right? Where do they find survival internally in a one-to-one relationship or in a social group? Um, those make a huge difference. So we'll start to go into those. We'll, we can go into a spectrum of healthy to unhealthy behaviors and start to say, okay, um, healthy when it comes to work, really average when it comes to family, unhealthy in my past relationships. And because sometimes it's not just about whether you're healthy or not as a person, sometimes it's situational. And then it's important to figure out, well, okay, why is the situation bring out this side in me? So there's a lot of work that begins even just in the typing session, which is why I often, you know, my offer is that, um, you have nine days after your typing session to like roll it into the package because that's what I find a lot of people want to do. They're like, I, I can't just like end it here, which some people can. Some people are like, I just need the info and I'm good to go. And I'm like, I trust you. Take it. But um, but yeah, so then we'll, we'll go through uh, the stuff that's important. Or of course, at the top, I will ask people like, what are you really trying to get out of here? What's important to learn? Um, and then we go from there. But usually, and then you get a, a one sheet after that is specific to your type and groupings and things like that. So like I, for example, if I typed myself, I'd get a paper after that just explained what being a type two means, what my wing is, like which one I lean towards, which one's a little bit more dominant and what that means. How does that show up in my life? What my um, instinctual variant is like, am I, I'm, I'm a sexual too, right? So I get a lot of validation from one-to-one relationships. Uh, romantic or otherwise. So mine would talk about how I'm a sexual too and what does that mean for my life and what are my specific points of growth based on this stacking. And that's what a typing session oh, looks nice. like. And so I, 
I was going to ask you a little bit about each type. You definitely don't have to go into the whole 90 minutes of each type, but if <laughs> I could do an but overview, yeah, just like yeah. an overview, um, you guys can also find this on her website if you want to find out a little bit more about like the different types, but maybe if you could just, just 30 seconds elevator t style on each type, that would be interesting. That would be I interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. So okay, let's see how fast, how fast <laughs> I can do this. Type one is called the perfectionist or the reformer. And they're very idealistic. They like to fix things as they go. They, they do believe that there's a right and a wrong way to do things and they have to do it the right way. They're right way. Type two is called the helper or the giver. And they're warm and interpersonal, but they abnegate their needs so that they can meet the needs of others and find their value there. Type three is called the achiever or the performer. And they are hardworking and charming and they've never failed, at least not in front of you. And they feel that their worth is within their works. And so that's where they're channeling all of their emotional energy. Um, the type four is called the individualist or the tortured artist. I think that one's the funniest nickname. And they usually hate when I say that. Um, but they don't do feelings or have feelings. They are feelings. And so whether that is sometimes joy, but mostly melancholy, they will feel all of their feelings on a spectrum throughout the day. And they're always on the search for identity and authenticity. Type five is called the observer or the theorist. I like theorist. I feel like it fits. Um, but they are kind of withdrawn from their emotions, kind of withdrawn from people, but um, not their select few. They're 100% cerebral and they're very focused on collecting information to help them succeed in life and the world as well as collecting knowledge. Type six is called the loyalist or the guardian. And I like that because they're kind of, they're loyal to their people, but they're the guardian to the rules. And I feel like that is them to a T. Um, unless they don't agree, in which case they'll make their own rules. They're a little bit rebellious, but they are the type of people who live in code yellow all the time. And I, I always say this, they're like the people that ring the alarm because they love us. Something's not right. This person is off. Something's not good. Those are those people. Uh, the Enneagram type seven is called the, the enthusiast. And I feel like they're like the Peter Pan of the Enneagram. They are so sweet and so fun. Um, and they... Like they're quick and they're they're fast minded. They're ex, um, excitable and excited and optimistic. They jump from one thing to the next, but that's because they don't want to be trapped in their emotional pain or be bored. Uh, type eight is called the challenger or the contrarian, and people say contrarian because they have a need to be against, quote unquote. Um, but really, what it is is they're the kind of person that doesn't necessarily want to show up as strong. They want to show up as not weak. That's what it is. It's not about being strong. It's about being not weak and avoiding vulnerability. And the type nine is called the peacemaker or the referee. I think peacemaker is probably the best uh, nickname for this type. And they are the sweethearts of the Enneagram. They are, they're kind and they meld with people and they fold with people. And um, they're such incredible people for connection. But one of the reasons they do this is because they are deeply terrified of conflict. And so when they meld together with everybody, the conflict doesn't happen, at least to them. And so that's a quick overview of all of the nine types. I'm sweating. Oh, I like that. Man, you know, you know it. You know your shit. <laughs> oh, I love these people. Can I tell you, like, I love these people. I like, I love, like, I've never, like, I, sometimes I go over this stuff over and over and I'm like, I love these people. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, I know my people. I know them. Yeah, uh, okay. So I, I was people. just thinking of an uh, interesting side point when you were giving you know explaining all these two actually two things do you find and i know people are all individual but do you find that certain mm -hmm. occupations lend themselves to certain types like maybe you see it over and over again like uh maybe nurses are typically like one of two types or um you know, artists or, you know, like, do you, do you see mm -hmm. that a lot? Like trends or I do, I do, but it's also, it, it varies, right there. It's easier to talk about the things that I never see. Right. So for example, I'll talk, uh, an elementary school teacher, right. Um, usually not like an Enneagram type five, right. Elementary school teachers are typically on the bubblier, extroverted, um, maybe not necessarily extroverted, but people forward, right? Kid forward, um, creative in the colorful and not scientific way. So, I mean, it, it depends. I'll, uh, to be, you're right, everybody's individual, so it's kind of hard for me to answer this, but 
if I may answer this stereotypically and in a fun way, I'd say a lot of type two, the giver and type four, the individualist are um, nurses, caretakers, uh, Enneagram nines tend to be uh, a lot like do stuff with moms. A lot of Enneagram nines tend to do stuff with moms, actually. Um, Enneagram eights um, are very, very surprisingly justice oriented. And so even though they um, are the challenger, depending on their wing, you see a lot of them working in like social justice movements, especially with that seven wing when they borrow for the inspiration from the seven. Sevens are high achieving, high performing, probably CEOs. Threes are the same. Threes are the like smartest, fastest, most corporate people you've ever seen. Or they can be really, really creative and have their own businesses, but they are going. Um, Enneagram sixes are incredible engineers because they are always able to contingency think and think about what might go wrong after. So yeah, they, to answer your question, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of the different careers that my clients have and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of fit the bill. But I would say... If you think about it like this, if you have a personality type that's more geared towards knowledge, like the Enneagram type five, they're going to work in the sphere where knowledge is uh, at the top, but there will still be people there because that's what happens. Or for example, like uh, an Enneagram four is most likely to be an artist. Um, And it's not that it doesn't involve all those other things, but it's just that creativity and authenticity and individuality are right at the top for that career. And that's really important to a four. So you will find that as, as much as they can help it, the personality types will foc- uh, find a career that focuses on what tickles them the most. You know, this makes me think that when someone is going through a midlife crisis, this would be a great way to figure out like, what is my damn purpose? And I, yes. you know, like I've had, I've had like multiple midlife crises. <laughs> uh, so I'm well, on I my wait. third, so it's all good. That's fine. But I, and it's taken me a while to figure out who I am. And I think people, when they go through, mm. um, you know, trauma or divorce or midlife crisis or, you know, that, you know, you're going through relationship after relationship, you're like, you're just not finding your people that should be supporting your circle, whether it's a partner or uh, the right job, or let's say you started a job when you were 20 straight, straight out of college or trade school or whatever. And then you find yourself at 30 and you're just damn miserable. This would be a really good way to figure out what is my purpose and why am I not happy? Because work should be joyful. It should bring you fulfillment. And there are so many people on this planet that are doing the work that they thought they should do, or they're sticking to jobs that, you know, punch in the clock, whatever. They're absolutely miserable. And this is why we have such rates of, depression and suicide Mm. and uh, trauma that's just unresolved because you're just miserable in the work. And work should be, it's so important to work. And that's probably my Capricorn saying, but work is fulfillment, you know, and we all have to have work, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's volunteering, you know, maybe it's being a mom, you know, and you're raising a family that's work you know and and Absolutely. so when we think about what is your work and this could be a great mm-hmm. way to figure out why you're not finding fulfillment in whatever your work is supposed to look like can i tell you most of my clients are 40 to 55 mm. mhm most of my clients are 40 to 55 and i'll tell you they're my favorite people to work with um and i the older they are, the more glad I am to work with them. I'm like, welcome home. Because there's there's something so special about, like I think about like my own family members who communityed around me my whole life. And I'm like, oh, imagine they woke up one day and wanted to know that. But so like when I when I meet with somebody and they're older, I'm like, there's still like, you know, in your heart, there's still time. And that's beautiful. Like, let's do this thing. Like when someone makes that decision to explore something about themselves and they're eventually like essentially saying, I know it's not over for me. That's the most important time to do it. Like that is that that is 
a hundred percent, like that makes my soul on fire, you know? But uh, most of my clients are 40 to 55. I'd say 45 to 55 is like a better uh, like pinch. But um, yeah, it's, we don't get to have the questions that we ask ourselves go unanswered. They'll just keep asking, right? Like the, who am I? What am I made for? Am I really supposed to be here? Um, why do I do this? Those different questions. We don't, as humans, we don't have the luxury of just pretending we don't have to answer them throughout our lives. We have to either answer them or we're going to be assaulted by those questions being asked like internally for the rest of our lives. And so when people make the decision, even at 55 to do something different, I'm like, that's a big one. That's a big one. You know, 50 is a new 30 people. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, Hell that's, yeah. I'm, that's my motto. I'm an infant. Like, <laughs> I'm going to make bumper stickers and I'm going to make a million dollars. 50 is the new 30. I love my 50s. I wish I had yeah. the wisdom and the drive and the motivation at 50 that I, I wish I had it mm. when I was 30. I, I think you're, well, wow. not only that you're more motivated because, oh my gosh, I'm going to be dead soon, but... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, you're like halfway there, maybe a little over half. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's all these things that I haven't done yet. I got a bucket mm -hmm. list. Like and when I can cross something off my bucket list, it's so exciting. Like, yes, I did this thing. And maybe it was small, maybe mm -hmm. it was little, but it's so cool. And I don't think like. I, I know like my, my own daughters had like their bucket list and it's so cool to like see them like, Oh, I did this thing. It was on my bucket list, you know, but when you're, That's when you're awesome. 50, you're like, Oh man, I got to do all this stuff. And you just get this fire yeah. you're like, Oh, okay. I got to I got to do all this stuff. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, fifties. I that's, that's my awesome. motto. Fifties, the new thirty. And if you are, I like that. What does that make thirty? Because uh, I'm, I'm turning thirty in December. Oh, Capricorn twins. But am, are you Capricorn too? Oh, okay, so that brings. Yeah. Okay, there's my other question um, that I wrote down. Astrology, and I can see oh. this enneagram thing somehow these types being kind of similar to some astrological and the zodiac sign. And I'm wondering if you encounter that. So the answer to that is no, but it's not as restrictive as you think because they're just two different things and they operate in two different ways. So one thing I've tried to see is, is any one Enneagram type similar to like any one of the astrological signs and not necessarily one in particular, like is like, wow, the Enneagram six looks like this astrological sign. You know, it doesn't really work like that. Also, like the Enneagram is much uh, more more like on the the spectrum of thinking of like genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger versus where you're born, where in the energetic playing field and when you're born. Right. And so I think they're really different, to be honest. Um, and but I think that they can be used together separately, but I don't think they can be combined because they do two different things. However, I would say if you feel like there's something accurate within your astrological sign and like the way that, because um, I don't know too much about astrology, but if there are different levels of like a healthy version of a Capricorn or an unhealthy version of a Capricorn or like I would say if if the shoe fits, take it and run. If, if you know what I mean, like whatever, wherever the shoe fits and something points to you and says, Hey, I think you need to work on this or, Hey, I think there's more here. It's always worth investigating because life is too short to not. Absolutely. Life is too short. Um, there mm -hmm. is more. I like that. There is more. Um, yeah. When I was thinking about this whole like midlife thing, um, you know, I, there, there is just no reason to stop and be okay with, okay, I'm 50 now. Now it's time for me to be this way because society tells me to be that way. Screw that. I mean, that is yeah. nonsense. If you are 50 or 45 or 55 or whatever, and you decide, I want to go back to school. I don't need, you know, like, who cares? Who cares? Like, yeah. do it for you. Even if you go out and you take a couple of classes or uh, do whatever, who cares if you never reach that goal? Like, if you've, like, for me, like, I've always wanted to take, like, yeah. an organic chemistry class because I was miserable in chemistry. Mm. When I was doing my undergrad, I just, I actually had to change my degree plan 
because I couldn't pass chemistry. <laughs> so like, so, and, I, and I had like a math, I have like this math problem, but I actually conquered that uh, when I was in culinary school because we had to take like, we had to take like business math and it finally like clicked for me. Wow. So you're never too old to learn. And I, I'm like, I'm a lifelong awesome. learner. And I think being a lifelong learner is such a, uh, it, it, it's, it's such a powerful way to bring new information and change into your space. If you're called to learn something like, let's say you want to learn more about the Enneagram, you know, like if this speaks to you and if it calls to you, just follow the path and do it because there's a reason that this mm -hmm. information is speaking to you. So um, I guess what I'm rambling on about like being midlife is that, um, you know, never stop. Like if you feel called mm -hmm. to um, explore something new in midlife and to change, nobody is holding you to um, like some kind of pact you know, like, okay, well, I'm an accountant. Nothing wrong with accountants. I think, I mean, our world couldn't function with accountants, but let's say you're an accountant and you're just miserable in your job and you do something like do this Enneagram coaching or whatever and figure out like your type and how this all fits together. And you find out like, oh my gosh, I've been on this wrong path. This is why I'm miserable. And you decide you want to become an artist or a, a ballet dancer or whatever, <laughs> like whatever it is, like who, who is telling you that you can't, that's just, that's, yeah. that's inside your own head. And like, what do you owe society that you think you can't do something for yourself? Who cares? Who cares that you yeah. told your parents when you were um, 18 that you were going to do this one career, this one job, you were going to be this one way, um, you know, whatever it is. Who cares? There's no document that you signed. <laughs> I mean, honestly, who cares? Go for it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. One of, my, one of my favorite stories that I ever heard uh, in college, and I, I don't remember the person's name who's the object of the story. I apologize. But basically, there was this woman. Uh, I don't remember her last name. Excuse me. Her name is Julia, I believe. And uh, this was way back when. So um, maybe like 1950s, maybe 1960s. I don't know. But uh, she was in school and kept failing, wasn't paying attention, would always get up in class, would always do all these different things. And um, the school, please excuse my verbiage. I'm just you know, repeating it back, but they said they were like, your daughter's retarded. Oh, you know, she's retarded. that word. Take her to a specialist. So I do too. Honestly, it's, it's so, it was painful to read that. Um, and so this therapist meets with the specialist, whatever meets with her for a few minutes and goes, okay, I'm going to go talk to your mom outside and put some music on and closes the door. And then basically takes mom to like this, the back of the room, the back entrance of the room where there's a little window and you could see in. And this little girl, she's sitting in the room and she looks around and she makes sure nobody's there and she gets up and she starts dancing to the music. <sighs> and the doctor looks at the mom and goes, she's not retarded. She's a dancer. Take her to dance school. Oh, I love that. And this woman, this woman grew up and ended up choreographing cats. <sighs> like, like you don't owe anybody anything. You know exactly who you are. Maybe we need a little reminding, but when you do get that reminding or that permission, because permission comes from anywhere in the universe, you take it and you run. If not, then it's on you, you know, but I'm grateful for this woman, Julia's mom that took her to dance school oh. because like, I think it just, it goes to show you don't need to fit into a mold. You just need to be yourself. Yeah. That's I love all. that. I got chills. Oh, I kind of want to, does she have like story. any YouTube videos? I want to see choreographed cats. I don't know. <laughs> I have to, I have to, um, uh, cat, cats the musical. Oh, not like real, oh. not like like like. Oh, the, oh, oh my, my gosh! Cats, like imagine a bunch I, of cats. Well, just I was like, thinking dancing. that would be so cool. I would love that. <laughs> like, how can I get my cat to dance? I mean, honestly, if you figure out how to get your cat to dance, put it on YouTube and send it oh, to me, absolutely. please. Um, but I heard that story in college. It was a uh, my innovation and creativity class in college, and that was the first story that my professor had told us. And I was like, "Whoa, what?" That's so awesome. Um, I love that because yeah. that's that's. I mean, talk about being authentic. You know, talk about listening mm. to your essence. You know, which is kind of yeah. what we've been talking about. Talk about uh, accepting. And her mother, like, she was too mm -hmm. young to like really advocate for herself, but mm. her mother saw her yeah. acceptance and said, "Okay." Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great mom, too, to be like art. What a great mom. Oh, 
I love that. I love stories like that. Yeah, it's a great story. I like that. Yeah, it's so crazy. And you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have discovered that if you hadn't been a learner and been in school, you know, and um, I'm not, you know, schools, sometimes school is not for everyone. Uh, Some people struggle with school, Um, but you don't have to go to like an institution to learn. There are so many things Mm -hmm. out there. Like uh, I always say, professor YouTube, there is so much information out there uh, content Mm -hmm. that we can learn from others. And I think it's so cool that we live in this uh, culture of the society now that everything's online. If you want to learn something, um, man, it's free for the most part out there. You just have to be willing to search it out and to find it and to just bring mm-hmm. it into your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, and I think this, this, yeah. this, um, this thing that you do is really powerful and I want to thank you for the work that you do. Um, it's just, it's so cool. And it's, it's been really cool. Like, okay getting to know you and to learn about the system. And I definitely want to uh, check out some of your resources and maybe I won't do the online test though. <laughs> maybe I'll just get the book or, you know, I'm sure. Get a book. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. there's probably an audio book out there too. Um, yeah, yeah. If you know, I, I, I do a lot of yeah. audio books because I unfortunately have to spend a lot of time in my car driving around, but uh, audio books. I do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, audio books and uh, yeah. obviously I love podcasts. Um, have you run across any yeah. podcasts out there that are good for the Enneagram? You said that there was one, but it was... Uh, there's one from Suzanne Stabile and then there is another one called Typology, which is pretty good. But I will say, um, if you want to learn about the Enneagram and you want to read a book, but you want to learn more about your type and kind of make it like, because the book is pretty clinical, right? The book, if you think about it, it's kind of like reading the DSM, where if you're you know, a therapist and you're meeting with a client, you know that like ADHD looks different in everyone and you're trying to see how ADHD looks in the person across from you, right? So if you want to know how your type actually fits like for you, find a, even doesn't have, doesn't have to be me. It's not a shameless plug. Find a practitioner and meet with someone like these tests, these books, they always come in second to meeting with a human um, who knows what to ask you to, to hit gold. So, um, but yeah, podcasts, uh, Typology is great. Uh, the one with Suzanne Stabile. And there was another one and I can't remember, but I'll send it to you. I'll uh, I'll send it to you via email so you can awesome. link it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I just, um, this has been really fantastic. Um, I want to thank Jackie for coming on. If you guys are interested in finding out more about her, we'll drop all the links for her uh, website and her uh, information in the show notes. And I just want to say, Thank you so much for Jackie for coming on. This has been really a fun conversation today. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. This honestly has been been so great and so fun. And uh, you're a really, really great question asker. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. You're a great question asker and you are just like, you're really great at this. So I hope you do this forever, to be honest. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear. Yeah, I, I kind of want to just quit my day job. And- <laughs> do this feel that so (laughs) so on that note hey everyone share this podcast like it follow it and tell other people about it so i can quit my that's it i want to quit my day job because i don't know if Mm -hmm. selling bumper stickers uh 50 is the new 30 if anyone wants to send me some cool uh bumper stickers let me know (laughs) but yeah all right well thank you so much jackie it's been fun thank you Thanks for joining me today and listening to another amazing story. I've got a pretty big announcement. I have an online program coming up. It's self-paced so you can fit it into your own schedule. We're going to focus on healthy boundaries, tapping into intuition for growth and set some milestones for habits that stick. It's called Bold Boundaries. And I want you to jump on over to my website and get on the wait list if you even might be slightly interested because it's launching this fall. And I'm looking for a few people to be a part of it for a very affordable price. It's all online, downloadable, and it's going to have some great content. The best part is that it will include some useful one-on-one coaching included for free. 
So the way to find it is to head on over to my website at www.mountainenergywellnesscoaching.com and search for the coaching services tab. And right there, you can get your mail, uh, your email and name on the contact form. I'll be uploading a separate short little introduction on this podcast, going into more details of the program. Be sure and hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you listen to great pod content. It sure helps my efforts to grow and get these stories out there. I'd love it if you could tell a friend about this show and share it with anyone who might be interested. You can find any links mentioned by my guests or by me in the show notes below. We have some great guests coming up in the next few weeks to finish up season one, which will be winding down in October. But season two is going to be super fun. We're going to dive into the weird. Yep, we're looking for strange encounter stories, experiencers, and all things weird. So if you'd like to be on the show and have a story you'd love to tell, reach out to me by sending an email to verbalecho at gmail.com. Our music is Funk Beats by Ecolix, and you can find them on Audio Jungle. I'll catch you next time around. See you soon.